You're listening to Talking to Teens, where we speak with leading experts from a variety of disciplines about the art and science of parenting teenagers. I'm your host, Andy Earle. Hey, we're here today with Dr. Caroline Leaf talking about how to help your teenager clean up their mental mess. Dr. Leaf is a communication pathologist and neuroscientist whose passion is to help people see the power of their mind to change the brain, control chaotic thinking, and find mental peace. She's the author of over a dozen books, including Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess, Switch on Your Brain, Think and Eat Yourself Smart, The Perfect You, and Think, Learn, Succeed, among many other books and journal articles, and her videos, top-rated podcasts, Cleaning Up the Mental Mess, and TV episodes, which have reached millions of viewers globally. Dr. Leaf currently does extensive research and teaches at various academic, medical, corporate, and neuroscience conferences, as well as in religious institutions around the world. Really excited to speak with Dr. Leaf today about what parents can do to help our teenagers clean up their mental mess and manage their minds. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much, Andy. It's great to be with you. We were just talking a little bit about mental messes. You've got a, a book on how to help your child clean up their mental mess. And yeah, talk, talk to me about that. What, what, what does that mean? Well, if you know, if you short answer is that look at the crisis that we currently have in, with, in mental health. It's really bad whether it's a two-year-old or whether it's an 18-year-old and adults too. So there's such a major crisis in mental health. And I've been in the field now for nearly 40 years and doing research, also working clinically. And what I have seen in the trajectory of my career is a shift from looking at the whole person and their context and their story and their narrative and all those you know, socioeconomic, political, racism, gender, all these things, looking at all of that over time and helping a person to cutting all of that out and going to just simply looking at symptoms and enabling and diagnosing and medicating. Now, if that process worked, if that biomedical model was working for the mind, we should be seeing improvement in mental health, but it's not, it's worse. It's the worst it's ever been. And our children are really, our children and adolescents are really victims of a very, very bad system. And there's, that's, I would say that that's one of the major issues, major reasons why we are seeing such a crisis in mental health and increase in suicides and depression and anxiety from kids as young as two and three and four. There's even records of kids as young as four committing suicide or dying by suicide. So we really have a major problem. And as I said, if it if the model that we introduced 40, well, not me, but that was introduced 40, 50 years ago was working, we would not be seeing this. So that's a major cause. Yes, of course, we've got to look at social media and we've got to look at whatever, but every generation places new changes. I mean, we had the advent of technology and telephones back in the day and whatever. Every generation faces something. So it's not that we, I don't think we can say or claim that this generation has, is facing something completely unique and different to another generation because last generation faced something unique to them. Every generation faces something unique. I think the core problem, which is why I wrote the books, this book and why I've written the books that I, this is number 19, and why I've written so many books in this area is because we're not teaching our children 
and ourselves as adults how to manage our mind in the midst of all the chaos of life. And if you take that out of the equation, you land up with a mental mess. A lot of also the really, really interesting stuff you're talking about in, in the beginning of your book, and you connect with this, something you call the mind-brain-body connection. Absolutely. So basically, I'm a, um, to give you a type of what I am, I'm a psychoneurobiologist. So what I do is I look at the mind-brain-body connection. Um, so I look at if every, so that assumes that the mind is not the brain. So I've got a couple of parts and for those that are just listening and holding up the model brain. So we often, in our current languaging, mix mind and brain, but mind and brain are not the same thing, they're separate. So psychoneurobiology looks at how the mind changes the biology of the brain and changes the biology of the body, and then also looks at what is the impact of, if we don't manage like chronic unmanaged stress or the impact of early childhood, um, adverse childhood experiences and trauma, and it looks at that impact on the mind and the brain and how that then shows up in our life and then what can we do about it. So it's a very interesting field because, and it's very ancient, even though we, the modern term is psychoneurobiology, it's something that's been around the philosophers of old and your ancient wisdom, spiritual wisdom. And it, we spoke about the fact that it's not about us, it's about us in the world and how the world impacts us. And they, we have these normal responses to adverse circumstances and normal responses to good circumstances. So we got to always keep the equation in the mix of understanding that our life impacts us. And it's our mind that actually is what's processing life. And the mind puts life into the brain and the brain responds on this neurochemical and physical level. So does, it, so does the body respond? And that combination of mind, brain, and body, psychoneurobiology, influences how we show up. So the thinking in this field and as I said, it's, it's ancient, it's not old, it's not brand new thinking, but the thinking in this field is that if we can look at how a person is showing up, how they're communicating in their life, how they're functioning in their relationships, their day-to-day -day function, what are they saying, what are they doing, what are the patterns, what are they feeling, what is going on in their body, all of those things, if we can look at that and say, okay, this is how you're showing up, what's the story behind it, and then help a person process that story in a very organized, sequential way and over, over time, to find the source and then to reconceptualize that source. And then you can then influence how it plays out into your future. Because stuff has happened and it will happen. You can't change that fact. So we need to know what to do with what is happening inside of our lives. And that's essentially what the beginning of the book, what I talk about and, and pretty much what I've been working on for the last, as I said, nearly 40 years now. There's a really a cyclical way that this all plays out, this neuro cycle that's happening, I guess, really all the time constantly. Thank you for saying that. You're one of the first, and I've been interviewed by hundreds of people, if not thousands, and you're the first person who's actually said what you've just said. You said such a beautiful statement that we are neurocycling all the time. And that's exactly what I've called the system that I've developed because I want to understand how do we as a human, we wake up in the morning, we go through the day, we go through our life. What are we doing? What's this process of life becoming part of us and impacting how we function? So I developed a system called the neurocycle that basically looked at the science of how life becomes part of us and influences us. And then what can we do to actually reverse engineer in order to, you know, we can't change what's happened, but change how it plays out into our future. And that process is called the neurocycle. 
So yes, we are constantly neurocycling. Either we're doing it well and we are managing it or it's messy because either way you're still going through life. You can't, and unless you're dead, you're still going through life. But if you don't manage it, it's messy. So messy life, messy brain, messy body, messy, you know, messy mind, messy brain, messy body, messy life. And that's okay as long as we recognize that and then do something about that. But the doing something about the messiness has been for the last 40, 50 years taken to be a, a set of symptoms that has been, you know, re- kind of like reduced down the complexity and the massiveness of a person's unique story and uniqueness has been reduced down to a set of symptoms to be eliminated. And we take away all of our human experience in that and that doesn't work. And the evidence is very evident. So this book that I've written here, I've written, I wrote this one, was released about 18 months ago, was how to help cleaning up your mental mess, so pretty much for adolescents and adults. And this is very much, this is for two to 10 year olds. So this is anyone from 11 onwards can benefit. This is two to 10 year olds and it's a how to help a parent help their child and teach their child how to manage their mental mess. Because you can do this, I'm, my youngest patients were two and three years of age. My kids are all adults and I have four children. They've learned this from when they were two and three years of age. So helping a, a person manage their mental mess, which is inevitable, is something we can teach ourselves and our children. Sounds like a lot of it really is also noticing that the approaches that we've been using or have been trying to use aren't really working and kind of understanding what we're doing that might actually be counterproductive or not helpful. Absolutely. It's so, so much so. If you just think of it, if you have something, I'm sure you've got a lot of stories of things that have happened in your life and from childhood all the way through, as have I and everyone listening and watching this. If we can draw the story and put that aside, but just look at the symptoms of unmanaged trauma. And those symptoms will be our emotions going all over the place, anxiety that's no longer working for us, potentially dep- deep depression, potentially suicidal thoughts, problems physically in our body, looking at life like you just don't want to live anymore, life sucks, or whatever various levels of that. That, what I've just described, we can't just end it there. We can't just say, okay, suicidal thoughts, how often, um, depression, how many times, how bad. And then, you know, kind of like symptom to take and then take those sort of very surface descriptions and then say, oh, that's because you have a neurobiological cause. So therefore you are going to be diagnosed with depression or clinical depression or bipolar depression or schizophrenia or panic disorder or general anxiety disorder, all these names as though they are an entity like cancer or diabetes or cardiovascular disease. if you do that, if you take a mental experience and you classify it as a, or categorize it into a medical, physical, bodily, in other words, you pathologize um, misery or you medicalize misery or pathologize childhood or adolescence or life experiences, what we do is take the whole humanity out of it. We take away the huge part of it and we just take it down to a few little things that you can see above the iceberg, you know, the tip of the iceberg. And you get the symptoms. And then by by its nature, the current biomedical model gets stuck in those symptoms and says, okay, you're showing up with all these things. Therefore, you get diagnosed. Now, diagnosis implies that we have a underlying biological cause identified. Like in cancer, we understand the biological cause. This cells are multiplying and they shouldn't be multiplying. So you target that, that. That works. Cardiovascular disease, maybe hypertension, high blood pressure, whatever. We can, but when it comes to mental health, you can't say, oh, your brain made you sad. Meanwhile, you know, your, your life experience 
affected your brain. Sure, your brain will be affected. I show that with my research, as do many other scientists. But that's not the cause. That's the result. It's the impact of life. So we have to make that distinction. We have to manage the impact of life and look at in terms of what, you know, maybe people have now got tremendous gut issues or they've got, you know, heart, heart palpitations or hypertension or that kind of stuff that is needs to be managed because you're at risk for stroke if you have hypertension, that kind of thing. But those aren't the cause. It's not that you have a brain disease or a genetic flaw or a chemical imbalance as a cause. Those are the results of changes on your life in your life. So we have to go look at the whole story, help manage that story, and that in itself then helps to um, heal. It facilitates the healing of the physical as we heal the mental, if that makes sense. You talk about management. You talk in the book and you mentioned earlier mind management. How do you manage your mind or what does that even look like? Yeah. What does that even mean? So let me give you a story. What does it even mean? A simple example. We're talking about kids. So let's say that you have teenagers and they come because I know that you talk a lot about obviously this podcast is very geared towards teenagers. So let's say now that we post COVID or well, hopefully, um, and it's been a really tough time. So parents, it's been the most difficult time to parent over this COVID period. We, we can all agree to that, um, whether you've got a young or an adult child or an adolescent, whatever. So parents are already quite strained and raw. Emotions are quite raw and people are trying to normalize and all that stuff. And yes, it's getting better all the time. But now let's say your child who's got back, gone back to school and they come home from a bad day at school and they were something happened that affected them and adolescents are Adolescence is, as we know, the most difficult part of our entire life cycle. So from, you know, 10, 11 through 18, it's the most difficult part of the life cycle. And everything is just so sharpened and whatever. So now let's maybe say that they were rejected by friends at school or something happened that really threw them. So they come in the door and throw their bag down and maybe swear and maybe get frustrated or withdraw or just snap at you or just seem, you know, kind of have a really bad attitude. And your emotions as a parent are raw. That can lead to an immediate level of conflict and that just is really messy and that let's say that this happens as a continual basis or, or, or on a continual basis a pattern starts to emerge in that child's behaviors and that could be they come home and they know they're not going to get sort of this is going to happen so they avoid it so they start withdrawing maybe withdraw to their room get stuck in social media so now their brain goes down another their mind brain connection goes down another road that isn't going to help oh sorry something's going on here um so this whole thing just goes, sorry, let's edit that out. Something popped up on my screen um, with this Zoom thing. So it's, hope it, I hope it's still recording. Is it still recording? Okay, you're good. Now we have this messy situation developing and minds are not being managed, neither parent nor child. And more and more behaviors are going to be developing. Potentially that child will go into a spiral, school results, start, you know, school behavior, school mark grades start getting affected. And a whole series of behaviors that make the parent very concerned. So they speak, maybe take the child to a psychiatrist who then, you know, this child won't talk much. So they're, they're 15 minutes questionnaire, boom, they have a label, clinical depression, medicate the child, maybe ADHD medication, a label. That is bad. Okay. I have a whole chat in here on how that can happen. So what does mind management look like? That is not mind management. What has happened there is just spiraling into more and more of a mess. What we need to do is that if we had to have a policy put in place to help this current crisis we're in, it would be to work on helping a parent help themselves because the distress that a parent experiences 
when they haven't managed their own stuff that they're going through and trying to protect their child and not knowing how to connect in this whole spiral I've just described, that is going to, the, the, the level of distress that you feel about your child's distress is actually going to make the child, especially the adolescent, look at your level of reaction and make them feel even worse about themselves because they see your, the way you, you're very distressed and this thing just is going nowhere. They will then think, oh, I'm really in a bad place. If my parent, who's maybe in their 40s or 50s or whatever, they think this is so terrible, I'm 15 and this is absolutely terrible, it's even worse because they think it's terrible. So in other words, the level of distress that we reflect back to our child about their distress increases their distress. So unintentionally, we're making the situation more messy. So it begins, mind management begins with me as a parent looking at myself and my reactions to my child and knowing how to support a, myself. So we should be focusing heavily on helping a parent understand what they're going through in response and being able to manage their own their own reactions and there are ways of doing it through the neurocycle you can and then that way then helping the child when they're in a better place oxygen mask principle when you've got the oxygen on yourself you can help your child so that is mind management so mind management would be as you as the child comes in the door um, and they are all doing all the things i described yeah then you instead of going oh not again or in yourself you tense up and you think oh my gosh i've got to do all this i've got so much going whatever you just, and you maybe snap, whatever. instead of that, you say, okay, I know how I'm, I feel like this. And you can say it out loud or in your head. I feel like this. And you give, make a little a sentence. I feel totally overwhelmed. I don't know how to deal with the situation. No judgment. No, you just, you just label. You literally label your emotions. I feel panicky. I feel overwhelmed. What are your behaviors? I'm about to snap at my child. Um, and then what are you, what, what are you feeling in your body? My heart's rotating completely out of it feels like my, my heart's going to just jump out of its out of my body. And my perspective, I'm looking at this, it just feels like I can't cope. Now, just by labeling, making four sentences of how you feel, what's, what are you doing, what is your perspective and what's going on in your body, those are four signals that give you information. By simply labeling those, you have done the first step of the neurocycle, which is to bring into awareness in a very organized and non-chaotic mind manage where you're managing your mind you're standing back and observing yourself giving yourself grace giving yourself okay to feel like this etc you've now basically changed the neuro neurology your neurophysiology has shifted to one of being able to be um, empowered to you empowered to control so you literally have brought that toxic situation that's been happening for a few days or whatever or a few months or whatever into conscious awareness by these four sentences and now you can change and rewire the network that this comes from which is the situation with my teenager that i don't know how to deal with it's coming it's happened whatever whatever the details are so it's a whole thought tree that is toxic versus a healthy thought inside of our brain so by saying those four sentences as a parent we bring that up then we can quick and you can do this really fast once you know the system you can then say okay well i'm then you go to the next you literally move okay four sentences then you say okay now i'm going to quickly reflect Focus reflection. Why am I feeling like this? Well, this has been happening for a long time. It's okay to feel like this. It's making me very scared. I'm going to you know, find, I'm going to get help. I'm going to listen to this podcast. I'm going to read Dr. Lee's book. I'm going to talk to a therapist or a best friend or something. Um, so it's okay. I feel like this because of you, you do this sort of reflect step where you acknowledge why you're feeling like this. You can, if you've got time, maybe you could just quickly write down if you've got a notepad around or on your phone, just make a few notes of those four sentences that you said and 
what you reflected on, just the why. And you're just bringing it all into consciousness. The writing down starts being all out of chaos. As you write down, more things will come up. Then you go into the fourth step, which is recheck, where you reconceptualize. Where you say, okay, well, in this situation right now, this is what's happened. This is what I can do right now. I can do more later on. I can talk to that therapist. But right now, I need to help my child. And it's okay for me to feel like this. But what can I do? Go to, I, I can basically explain what I'm going through and say that we're going to work on this together. I can give them a statement. I can be empathetic. One of the biggest things that can help a child is empathy. Empathy for yourself, empathy for your child. So then the first step is active reach. Okay, do it. So then you you do that in those five steps in your head. And it's in detail in this book. It's in detail in this book. And I have an app called the NeuroCycle app where you can learn how to do this, where I walk you through it with audio visuals, like me literally training you to, to do this on a constant lifestyle basis. Now you can say to your child, okay, you've done this in three minutes, got yourself calm while you were just maybe making coffee or something. Now you look at your child and you say, hey, shame, I see you really not feeling great. Talk to me. I'm here for you. No judgment. No, no, uh, you're creating a safe space. You're saying to them, hey, I see you. I don't understand, but I'm here. I see you. I'm sorry for my previous reactions, but I can see you need me now. Shame, let me, can, I, can you talk to me? I, I'm here for you. Just tell me about your day. What do you need? Do you need a cup of coffee? Do you want to just sit with me and have a cup of coffee together? What do you need? I'm here to listen. No judgment. And then maybe your child sits down, still doesn't say something, and then you can you can actually verbalize what you went through and say to them, hey, you know what? This has been going on for a while, and I'm sorry that I've been handling it badly. And you know, these are the emotions that I've been feeling, and the, this is what my body's been. And you actually go through them. You, you tell them out loud, this is how I felt, and this is what I've done. I went through these steps and my, my, my action is I want to tune into, I'm getting myself under control so that I can help you and I want to hear you and I want to listen to you and let's work this out together. And I can teach you the neurocycle. We can do this together because the neurocycle is a mind-directed neuroplasticity system that helps to get your messy mind under control by your wise mind because we all have our wired for like wise mind it's wired into our neurobiology. It's part of our deep spiritual unconscious mind. And all we've got to do is for a moment stand back, get into that zone where you can stand back and observe. And that's what the neurocycle enables you to do. By doing that, you calm down your neurophysiology. You get to the point where you're calm enough, say the right thing to your child, and then for your child, whether they're little or big, they can then learn how to respond. That is mind management. And as you bring in this in as a lifestyle, you can then start working on the moment by moment little things that pop up as something and then you can start looking at patterns and a pattern means that this has been around for a while and if there's a pattern in your child's life or your life then it's going to take a little longer than the moment you use the moment neurocycle to calm down and to get into a state and it's like okay this has been going on for a while how about we spend five minutes a day or 15 minutes a day for the next 63 days and i'll tell you why 63 working through this pattern so that we can rewire the brain. Because at the moment, this is driving you. And going in your room and reading social, getting stuck on social media or us continually fighting about this or you getting a label, it's just going to make this bigger. What we need to do is weaken this and heal the roots and reconstruct so it shrinks and we can build a better coping mechanism. We mustn't insulate our children trauma. As much as we see our kids in distress, they have to use you, not in your head. You have to use the distress as a life lesson. So we have to help the child to learn how to manage their mind in order to, hey, life is not going to be perfect. You cannot insulate your child from everything, but you can teach your child what to do when they feel thrown. 
and give themselves permission. It's okay to be sad. My mother was feeling like totally overwhelmed by my reaction. So an adult feels this and that's okay. I love that, but I think also that it's so hard to do that or to help them to learn those tools, partly because even what you're showing with this example that you keep referencing, because their distress triggers us, you know, it's so uncomfortable or it triggers us for other reasons. And, and we sort of like miss the opportunity to go deeper, engage those conversations with them about what's going on, because then it get it sets us off into our, whatever's going on in our head that then do, doesn't allow us to help them sit with what they're going through and and develop the tools for how to manage it so it's like it's so, so important for for us as parents to work through this process on on those kind of reactions that we're having and why you know if if we can't it's like you know if we're still in that fate place where um you know it's setting us off then we're never going to be at the level where we're going to be able to really really help them develop that. Absolutely. And you know, all of us, and you know, most people that I talk to and that you probably talk to, we know that this is what we instinctively need to do, but we don't know how to do it. And when you're in the heat of that moment with that reaction with your, your child or the, the situation, we need to have trained ourselves in mind management um, so that we are preemptively and proactively learning how to deal with those situations. So this can be done as a, as a team effort, as a collaborative family effort. So it's also an opportunity to develop deep, meaningful relationships. So all these things about you know, calming down and meditation and breathing, we all know about that. But one thing we do know from the research is that if you don't put it together properly, you don't do things in the right order, your mind-brain-body connection won't respond like you want it to do, and you're going to keep falling back into the same patterns. And that's why I developed this concept and went in it and so much, and I still do. I still run clinical trials where we are researching and improving all the time how to do this. But it's, if you just meditate, for example, if you just become mindfully aware of something, but you don't do anything with it, you're going to crash. Where's your child? So you can't just say, I feel like this. You have to say, I feel like this, and I feel like this in my body. And I also, and these, it's coming out like in these behaviors and it's affecting this perspective. You've got to go through all four cycles. Emotions do not live alone. And the way that the sort of pop psychology, the way psychology speaks into, and psychiatry speaks into the media, we would think emotions are the most important thing. Emotions, they are important, but they don't live alone. They are linked to behaviors and to, and to bodily sensations and to perspectives. And when we package them together, we get a bigger picture. I mean, we realize that those are actually just the tip of the iceberg. We need to go deeper and find the actual thought and the networks and how the self-talk, which is in the branches of the tree and how it's impacting our relationship. We need to know how to go to this level, from the signals to this level, to actually see how this is showing up. That these signals are showing up like in this way, it's impacting my friend relationships, my sibling relationships, my own relationship with myself, my self-identity, my self a relationship, love, etc., whatever you want to call it. Why? You've got to find the source. And another thing is we can't just become aware of those emotions and aware of the source. We also have to reconceptualize. We have to change it. We have to heal the root. And this is where a lot of traditional therapies will fall down. It's because you can't just say, okay, I'm happy or I'm sad or I'm anxious or I'm mad and say, okay, it's because of being bullied at school. That's not enough. Here's a technique. Every time you're bullied, then just imagine this. That's not going to fix the problem. You can't just 
put a band-aid on. You have to take it's like it's like think of it like this. If a pilot flies a plane, the engineer comes in before you take off and goes through a checklist and the co-pilot and they do a whole thing. Then they fly take off. Then they fly the plane all the time monitoring and managing the process and then they land the plane. If what we need to do is liken mind management to that. I have to prepare myself. I have to get the engineer, the co-pilot, the checklist. That is where we would do things like meditation and breathing and all those kinds of maybe some little sort of technique type things just to calm down your neurophysiology. But that's simply the checklist. You haven't fixed the problem. A lot of people stop there and they think, okay, well, I'm calm. I've got it under control. Then the next situation happens and all you keep doing is putting a Band-Aid on the wound. Then the next level up that people go to is they, they train themselves to be mindful. There's a lot of talk about mindfulness, mindfulness CBT and all that stuff. And now mindfulness is important, but you've got to be very careful of just becoming mindful because now the plane's taking off. When you become mindful, you you are taking the plane's taking off. So you are mindful. There's things coming up all over the place. What do I do with those? Now that in itself, if you don't know how to fly the plane, fly those emotions and those behaviors and all that stuff, if you don't know what to do with them, that is going to make you crash. You're going to crash the plane. And then you're going to feel like you can never get this right. And you're going to deeper levels of depression and anxiety. And those are not illnesses. Depression and anxiety are emotional warning signals, like we've got the four signals. Depression and anxiety are good for you. Every emotion is good for you. It's information. They only become problematic if we don't manage them. Then they shift into becoming unbalanced. So anxiety is good. Unbalanced anxiety well, is, is a problem. Depression is good. Unbalanced depression is a problem. And without mind management, we throw the balance off. We crash the plane. So that's why I wanted to find out what is the systematic process between the mind, brain, and body that we go through, that we can go through to drive the correct mind, brain, body reaction, to change our neurophysiology, to rewire. Because we all understand the example of that is used so often, that you walk one pathway in the brain and it's this worn pathway and that's what drives us and we have to get a new pathway. We all get that. But that worn pathway in order to rewire that network that has the worn pathway, it looks toxic. It's all toxic and proteins that are folded incorrectly, chemical imbalances, electromagnetic imbalances. This is real in the brain. As real as you and I are, this is as real in the brain. In order to change that, it will not take one neurocycle, nor will it take one or two meditations or one or two breathing exercises or one or two exercises on let's talk about our feelings. That is just starting the process. You have to be very consistent. The mind-brain-body connection is ordered. It's, it's, it's sequence. It thrives on organization and order. And there's things that should happen before other things happen. So very often people will dive into meditation, emotions, and then a technique, and then they wonder why it's not working. It's all back to front. Start with your brain preparation. And the brain preparation is calming down your neurophysiology. So if someone is highly um, highly worked up, Trying to do a neurocycle at that point won't work. You first have to calm down the neurophysiology. And that's where the breathing and the meditation and all those great things come in. Then and decompression and that kind of thing. And in my app and in my books, I have um, all of those. I have lots of examples and there's so many available. But I've t taken them age appropriate and put, put them into, like for example, in the, in the app, there's a three-minute brain prep before you do the neurocycle. And there's a whole section that you can click on. And there's decompression activities, which is all audio. So you can just press it and listen and decompress with your child and yourself. There's many neuroscience. Like if you're dealing with a toxic person, you can press and walk. I walk through what to do right now in the moment on how to manage that. Now, all of that's also inside. Of, well, on a level for parents helping children, I've given the same. So we have a parent 
add-on in that we are putting into the app as well. Um, what we also, okay, I'll tell, I don't want to muddle you up. So then the, all of that decompression happens, but now we've got to make ourselves aware of our emotion. And that's where we go into the first step of the neurocycle. So brain prep, first step, gather awareness. Second step, third step, right. Fourth step, reject, fifth step, active reach. If you skip a step or bump a step or swap a step, you won't have the same neurophysiological pathway. I've done the research showing how when you do that step, that happens. So you prepare your brain for the next phase. And if you do, so if you do active reach before, before you've done gather awareness, if you do something like a technique before you've actually gathered awareness properly, it won't work for you. It's a band-aid on the wound and you likely will get disillusioned because you're going to feel stuck. So to not feel stuck to that kind of, you want to go through the sequence of the steps. That's what I'm emphasizing. Now, over time, what we do know is that if you've got a pattern, let's say you've got an early childhood trauma um, and it's pretty expansive and it happened over a period of time and never was really dealt with and now you have, you develop coping mechanisms to deal with it, but they're not sustainable and they're coming out maybe as an adolescent with whatever in certain behavior patterns. That's not going to get fixed in one neurocycle. We know that to rewire the brain, to rewire this into something healthy, we, this shrinks and this becomes the main Folk, you know, the reconceptualized, this is what happened, this is what I'm going to do to cope with my life. That's going to take multiple cycles of 21 days. It doesn't take 21 days to build a habit or to break a pattern. It takes at least three cycles. And the first 21 days are the most difficult, where you actually feel like you're getting worse or you're getting better. Then you get to a point where you, okay, I think I've got this, I'm going to stabilize that. And this is where a lot of people give up. They think, oh, I've got this. Between day 14 and 21, you start feeling, hey, I've been working on this for two weeks. I think I've got this. If you stop there, you'll go right back. Because what you have to do in these two, you can't have the two parts of the tree the same size. Because if I, if I, at day 21, I'm going to have a new way I'm going to, you know, what I, I want to handle this and how I want to function versus, you know, the dealing with the bullying or dealing with the relationship with your child, whatever the situation is. But I've got an equal, that's the still, it's still got a pull. It's still got a lot of energy. I have to weaken this. And to take the energy from this and put it here, energy's never lost. It's always transferred. So I've got to transfer the energy. Now, if I stop at day 21, I can fall back one trigger and I can go back into that pattern. This will shrivel. This will grow again. So in order to prevent that, you have to keep doing the neurocycle for another 42 days at least. And that shrinks this and makes this strong. So when I'm triggered next, when the child walks in the door and there's a situation and they get that look on their face and you're triggered because you've done the work on yourself to and worked out that a lot of your triggers maybe come from your own childhood trauma and your own parenting and it's carried over into whatever. You've worked it out. You'll have a flash, a slight remembrance, but this is what will dominate that interaction, the new way of behaving, the new way of talking, et cetera, et cetera. Same thing with your child, whatever you've worked on with your child, they'll also be working on that. So that's really important. People get stuck because they don't do it long enough and in the right order. And that's what the neurocycle is. And that's what I explained so simplistically in this book. So I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about this book because I've got like images and toys and all kinds of things to, to help this process. Such a just straightforward approach for changing your brain. I think it's really powerful. Yeah, it's, it's really cool what you've done to put it into terms that make it easy to, to share it with kids. Absolutely. So what we've done, what I've done in this book is I created a character called Brainy, which I actually created nearly 30 years ago. And I had a Disney artist um, draw it up and I put it in, put this Brainy character in some of my books. So we rebirthed Brainy, got a modern, another, a young artist to 
update it and make it really cute. And so throughout, you have Brainy. And I'll hold a picture up to the camera so people can see. You'll see Brainy is throughout the book all over the place. We just find a good picture of Brainy. Um, Brainy is there's a little. Brainy is this little superhero that walks this nearest, this walks this mental health journey with you. So it's throughout the book. So the whole process of the neurocycle, for example, is Brainy doing the different steps. There's the gather awareness, reflect, write, and that that little icon appears all throughout. So you can teach a child as young as two this system by using the analogy, and then all the little areas in the book where you see the grey. That's how you can explain it to your child. Um, and we even have a toy brainy. We've even made the little toy brainy, which is super cute. And we even got a coloring book where we can these situations like you know maybe they've been um, sneaking from cookies or stressed during a test or being teased, being bullied or whatever. And they can do the neurocycle on that side. So then this book is filled with tips and techniques and how tos and stories and analogies of how to do this in everyday life with your kids. And yeah, it makes it really into something that you can do as a whole family. And then you can be sharing with your kids. And And I just think there's something so powerful about having a common language um, and and giving you a framework so that you can actually have this um, about this stuff within your family and you know talk about situations that you're dealing with and then things that you've noticed about kind of what how that um, might might have been patterns from earlier in your life and having this framework and words for it uh, is really, really, really valuable. That's so so key what you said there is to be able to have this two things you said that were so relevant. This is like it's a family effort. It's a, having a common language that you can talk through stuff. So a child is, it's so good for a child, for example, to hear my husband, for example, his parents put him in boarding school when he was five and he didn't see his mother for a whole year. And I just think of the trauma of not seeing your parent at five for a whole year. He obviously had his coping mechanisms, but they translated into young adulthood as being a, quite a rebel and getting into drinking and all kinds of stuff. And obviously that, you know, sorted itself out and whatever. But for many years, there were a lot of issues that then once he got the basic stuff sorted out, trickled into his parenting. He would look and say, gosh, you've got your mother around all the time. You don't go to boarding school. We're giving you everything. And if our kids, for example, were maybe just the normal kid stuff, he would overreact and think, gee, I didn't have this opportunity and would be maybe too much of a disciplinarian. So what we would, what we actually did was a neurocycle with the kids. We explained, sat with Mac and said, look, this is what you're doing. And used the neurocycle to help him see what he was doing. And then he then explained to the kids in, at the age, obviously we had four so age-appropriate levels. When it came up, he would actually say, oh, this is coming from that. This is a better way. Let's discuss it, et cetera, et cetera. So it therefore became a tool where the child could see his impact of his life on his parenting, but also how he managed it. The, the, that gave, and it, it took years to sort of build that into, but it became a, a common language and a tool for us to understand and express. And that's what's so so important about this is to have that common language. And you're not going to do, it's not going to be fixed once because that pattern that he had, he had to work on many cycle, neurocycles because there was a lot of trauma involved. So it's not going to even be one 63-day cycle. It was multiple cycles over years to actually as as a pattern identified and whatever and you know was identified so just an example of how it good it is to tell a child hey i went through this this is why i'm like this it's hard for you but your distress is part of your learning it's part of shaping who you are as a person you can't we can't pathologize childhood and that's what's happening here we 
pathologizing their reactions. Meanwhile, the reactions of a child to a parent are coming from the parent's baggage and their baggage and the whole thing. We have to work these out. We have to talk it through. We have to give our children tools and ourselves tools to tell our stories and then to manage them and work out how we're going to move forward. Don't you think it's crazy that we just focus so much on teaching kids like memorizing facts and school is so focused on information um, and we we don't really have much um, really at all on teaching kids how to how to manage their mind. Um, it's how, what could be more relevant or important. Uh, more relevant or important. Just think of it like this. If someone is training to be a pro athlete or a just think of school sports. No one expects a child to be good at the sport until they've been trained. And they, so that's all logical. But when it comes to the mind, it's like this instant quick fix. As soon as a child's a problem, label and diagnose. The, the effort that goes into a sport, there's much more effort that should be put into the mind. And we spend way more time on developing. And I'm not anti-sport. I think it's vital for our development of our children. And it's a great community thing. It's a great bonding thing. But it's unbalanced. Right. Yeah, I love that. If we put so many hours per week, so much effort and energy into that, but how much do we put into training our mind? Yeah. yeah. And your mind drives everything because think of it like this. Your brain is nothing without your mind. How can I say that? Well, if you were dead, you wouldn't be having this conversation with me. So what enables you to have this conversation with me? And it's not our brain that enables us to have it. It's our mind. It's our life force. Because a brain, I can take your brain out of your head and we could stare at it all day long, but never get questions, you would never be able to ask me questions. So the brain is not doing it. The brain is a responder. The brain is what the mind uses with the body and the combination of three is how we can therefore shut. So therefore, mind needs to be priority, like the number one driving force. You think of athletes, pro, I think of just thinking of Kobe Bryant, my son-in-law just wrote a book about him and I was just uh, going through it and just in terms of how someone like Kobe Bryant, he speaks so much in his in his life, spoke so much in his life about how he had to bring the mind into his game and how his mind made him so messy in his early childhood and whatever and whatever. Mind drives everything. If we don't start and prioritize mind, you know, that is, and mind, and when it comes to parenting, you've got to prioritize mind for humans. You, each person, how do you manage your own mind then? How do you manage your mind as a parent then? How do you manage your mind as a as a partner? How do you manage your mind as a work colleague? How do you manage your mind as a politician? They really need it. It's almost like we have to keep figuring it out all over again at different phases of our life or as we get in, have different roles or different responsibilities. No, absolutely. And, and often the scientists will throw out, and I see articles about this all the time, I'm sure you do, where they talk about mind being the hard question of science. You know, David Chalmers' famous statement, and you know, the, the, it's not the hard question. I think I'm the only person on the planet that keeps saying it's not the hard question. It's the most obvious question. And as long as we see it as being hard, we are going to miss an absolute essential component of being human, which is mind. Because we're so busy saying it's too difficult to look at that we're not looking at. Can't even possibly problem. figure that thing out because, yeah. You know, it's so obvious. Just the fact that you and I can have a unique conversation, there's evidence of mind. The fact that even question... And make the statement, it's the hard question of science. That's a mind decision. No, so we, we're steering something that is steering us in the face. We're not 
actually looking at. So that's a lot of my work is to try and get people to look at mind. And it's one of the most difficult things to help people understand what the mind is. Um, but it's a, yet it's the most easiest thing. Contradiction. It just seems so worthwhile. It's awesome that you're uh, you've done all this work now um, to bring back this character from your past and translate all of your teachings and ideas into um, a, a format that makes it into something you can do with kids. It's really really amazing what you've done. Um, thank you so much for just uh, all all you're doing in the world and for taking the time to to come on the show and and talk with us about it. It's been really really great. Thank you so much. Thanks for your great questions, and I enjoyed it very much. Thank you. Really, there are plenty of books that uh, I would encourage people to check out. Uh, this new one, especially, How to Help Your Child Clean Up Their Mental Mess, and probably just picking up a copy for yourself of uh, How to Clean Up Your Mental Mess is always a good idea as well. Where can people go to follow you, be aware of what you're what you're working on next? Absolutely. My, my social media um, page is, all my handle is Dr. Caroline Leaf. My webpage is drleaf.com. I have scientific, I also do, I, I publish scientific journal articles as well. They'll see that in the science section on my webpage. So people are interested in the sciencey stuff, but there's also totally practical stuff. And my social media page every day is filled with little things that will help people with mind management. I have a podcast as well called Cleaning Up the Mental Mess. So people can also listen to stuff there. Amazing available obviously wherever books are sold and we um hope that everyone will will pick up a copy and support your work so thanks again for coming on the show thank you so much i appreciate that i really do thanks andy thanks for listening to the talking to teens podcast if you have any questions or just want to connect you can always reach me by email andy at talking to we'll see you next time